Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, guys? As we speak, week number two for the NFL getting underway with the Eagles and I was going to say the Eagles in Philly. That would be redundant, wouldn't it? The Eagles and the Vikings getting things started on Thursday night football. Literally just kicked off a few moments uh, ago, but we've got our own business to handle. We have to bounce back from an embarrassing week one loss to our division rival Green Bay Packers, and we have to go on the road to the seventh circle of hell in Tampa Bay, Florida, uh, in order to do it. So, uh, yeah, the weather might be a factor. But, hey, guys. We're wearing the orange uniforms on Sunday with the orange helmets. So, yeah. Oh, God help us. This is the week two, <laughs> the week two preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let this, let's get this over with. Hang up the telephone. Breaking news just coming down the pike uh, yesterday, actually, on Wednesday. The Bears announced that they will be wearing their orange-on-orange unis uh, on Sunday uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So instead of letting Tampa Bay wear the orange creamsicle uniforms, we have tortured the world with those uniform abominations that the Bears wore twice last year. And... um, I believe you'll hear me say this because our guest, Rhett Matthew, from the Cannon Fire podcast will be here to, in a few moments to help us preview the Bears-Bucks game. We get into a little talk about uh, uniform snobbery towards the end there. And, um, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 the silver lining of the Bears wearing these uniforms on Sunday is that if, if we're only due to wear them twice, and please, God, let it only be twice because, you know, if we do it on, because we last year we wore one on the road and one at, one at home. Uh, well, at least we're getting one out of the way, as opposed to having to dread it for what five weeks. It was like week six and week eight, so we got them done soon. So hopefully, the the next time we see them, if we have, if the pattern holds, will be week four at home against the uh, the Broncos. Just go ahead and get it over with, so we don't have to look at them again. Uh, fingers crossed. Or hell, well, actually, we'll be on the road next week against Kansas City. I was like, hey, just do it two weeks in a row, get it over with. But uh, let's rip the Band-Aid off here. But uh, anyway, yeah, so as if there wasn't enough anxiety hanging over our heads around this game, now we got to watch them prance around in those goddamn uniforms. That's going to be awful. Going to be awful. And and <laughs> we went 0-2 and did not look good in either of those games uh, last year. So, uh yeah, good times. Can't wait. Can't wait. I wasn't nervous enough about this game, especially after Tampa beat Minnesota on the road last week. And, and But now we got to throw in the fact that we're wearing the worst uniform combination of all time uh, to uh, to play this ball game, this very important 
ball game. Because if we lose on Sunday, we are for sure looking at 0-3 because there's no way we beat Kansas City next week. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah, not good. But uh, anyway, that's the start of our news and notes here in the opening segment of our week two uh, preview. Uh, real quick, let's go ahead and do the injury uh, report. Uh, a very short list uh, once again. In fact, it's really only two players because they put Mercedes Lewis on the on the list today for Thursday. But he had a Veterans Day of rest, so that's not exactly an injury. I don't know why he's on the injury report. but So he's not hurt. He just had a day off because he's playing in his 38th NFL season. They gave him the day off today. But uh, Josh Blackwell uh, is uh, was limited yesterday with a hamstring injury but did not practice today. Why is that significant? Well, because Kyler Gordon, uh, one of our second-round picks from a year ago, and our nickel corner, or our slot corner, however you want to put it, uh, broke his hand and was put on IR for at least the next four weeks. So the earliest that we can see uh, Kyler will be maybe the week six. Who do we play after the Commanders? I don't remember off the top of my head, but weeks whoever we play week six, we got the Commanders on week week five. I think it's Minnesota, actually, now that I think about it. Pull up my schedule here. Yep, it is. So that's the earliest that we can see him because he's out for the next four weeks. So no Tampa, no Kansas City, no Denver, no Thursday night against Washington. And then we have that 10 days between the Thursday nighter against Washington and the Vikings game. So maybe, maybe after the, the commander's game, I don't know what the severity of the injury was just bad enough that uh, we definitely can't use him for the next four weeks. So uh, we'll see how that, uh, how that goes. If it's because I, when I, th- I think when I first read it the other day that it was, um, you know, a broken hand that it could be four to eight weeks. So if it's eight weeks, Minnesota, Las Vegas, the Chargers, the Saints, the earliest would be week 10 against the Panthers on Thursday night uh, football. So if it's an eight-week miss, that's uh, eight games later is week number 10. So we'll have to uh, keep track of that and see uh, see what the prognosis is for that young uh, that young slot corner of ours. And, uh, you know, like I said, Josh Blackwell is uh, was limited yesterday. No practice today because of the hamstring injury. I uh, also read that Tyreek Stevenson was taking reps uh, at slot corner. Not sure who that puts in at the other outside corner if he's going to take over that uh, spot. Let's take a look at our depth chart here. And let's see. Cornerbacks. Jalen Johnson. Well, Kyler Gordon's not. Terrell Smith who played very well during the preseason. So it's not the uh, not the worst thing in the world. It would just be a fifth-round rookie playing an all-important position uh, against guys like Mike Evans, which uh, could get scary. But uh, Jalen Jones is also an option uh, who played a lot of snaps for the Bears uh, last year uh, when we started having injuries towards the back half of the uh, season. Uh, the only other injury is uh, seems to be taking care of itself, Dylan Cole, Recently re-signed to the uh, 53-man roster earlier this week, was limited on Wednesday with a hamstring, but was full go participation 
uh, today on Thursday. On the Buccaneer side, Carlton Davis, cornerback. It just says T.O., so I'm going to go ahead and say that that's a toe. Um, it just it literally says T.O., so somebody doesn't know how to spell toe. But uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's a toe. Has not practiced yet this week. Soa has not. Uh, Kalijah Kansi, which is their first-round pick, the defensive tackle, uh, was uh, out with a calf injury, has not practiced yet uh, this week. Baker Mayfield was on the uh, list, but has been full participation both weeks, both days with a right shoulder injury. Um, let's see, they had uh, Servassier Dennis uh, limited today with a hamstring injury, and Christian Eisen uh, with a concussion was out yesterday, limited today. So that is the full extent of the injuries, which I guess is good on both accounts. There's uh, you know, a very small injury report for the, for the most part on both sides for the Bears and the Buccaneers as we move forward. Uh, otherwise, in other other news and notes, uh, let's go ahead and pull this up again. Good news, guys. Um, unfortunately, he's not going to be playing for us, but he is playing football again, and that is Tariq Cohen. Uh, got a call from the Carolina Panthers earlier this week for a tryout, and he was signed uh, to their practice squad. So, uh Here's hoping that uh, he'll be one of those practice squad guys to get signed to the roster and that, uh, like, I, I heard the Panthers are in need of a punt returner, so obviously that's his. Uh, that was a big thing for him. He made the Pro Bowl as a uh, special teams uh, player for us. And, uh, you know, it, it's good to see that he's getting another chance. Um, you know, everyone keeps talking about how he's missed the last two seasons. It's like, guys, go back and look. He's basically missed the last three because when he suffered that knee injury against the Falcons, it was week three. It was the third game of the season. So he played, and it was early in the game, like in the first half, like second quarter, maybe. He suffers that knee injury. So he played two and a half games in 2020, missed the rest of the season, missed all of 2021. And then when he was getting ready to you know, possibly try out for teams last summer in 2022, ruptures his Achilles during a uh, workout on Instagram live and missed all of 2022. So he's missed the last two full seasons, but he hasn't played football since September of 2020. That was three years ago, guys. So yeah, he's basically missed the last three seasons, you know, in order to try to come back and play football again. I'm rooting for him. I always love Tariq. It was, uh, you know, it was if you guys remember the shows back in 2021, David Montgomery goes down week four uh, against the Lions with his knee injury. It was just a sprain. And I was like, don't worry, guys. Two weeks from now, when you know when the, the six weeks on the pup list is over, we get Tariq Cohen back. And, you know, Montgomery's supposed to be out for four weeks. Well, we'll get, him, we'll get Tariq Cohen back in two. Herbert can hold down the fort until then, so on and so forth. Well, yeah, then it was like, what the hell's going on with Tariq Cohen? Why are we not even hearing that he's practicing again? And, of course, the the organization was – like, we still don't know. We still don't know. I, I, I did read that he – not only was it an ACL, but he tore his MCL as well. And then I also read uh, that there was some kind of uh, break or fracture in the leg on top of it. That is That was all news to me when I read that. So, but that's that's what I read in in, uh, in an article talking about him trying to make a, a comeback uh, and everything. And it's uh, 
that was not news that was shared uh, with us as to why Tariq was, uh, you know, wasn't playing or why was he wasn't practicing. What was taking so long for him to come back from the injury? It was like the one saving grace of him going down as early as he did in the season was that by the time that season was over, it should be all about, you know, strength and he should be able to take part in the uh, off-season program and all that. And none of that happened. And we never really knew why. Anytime we tried to ask about Tariq, they would never tell us what was going on with him. Because he was well past the timetable that he should be, you know, suiting up and playing again. And it just didn't happen for one reason or another. And it wasn't so much frustration with Tariq. It was frustration with the organization by not telling us what was going on with him. It's like, seriously, man. There are, And I said this a hundred times. There are players that got hurt after him that came back before him. What's the deal? And, you know, it's finally coming out now, two and a half years later, that the injury was far more severe than they let let us uh, know uh, when it actually happened. But nonetheless, he's persevered. He's been through a lot, man. He lost two of his brothers, one to uh, like an, an accidental electrocution, the other one to a car accident, like in pretty short succession on top of that. And then, you know, with the injuries and then getting cut by the Bears, uh, you know, having that injury take place when he was trying to make a comeback last summer. He's been through a lot, man, and I'm glad to see that he's persevered and that he's getting his chance with the uh, Panthers. And I did tweet at him uh, yesterday when I uh, – or yesterday or the day before that uh, maybe, just maybe, when the Panthers come to town week 10, you, you know, mysteriously catch like that 24-hour bug or, or something like that. You know, the just some kind of traveling flu. You can't make the trip. You got to stay home. You know, just for old time's sake. What do you say, Tariq? So, we'll see. And then finally, guys, it's it's not so much that the players complain about the fans booing. It's that they clearly don't get why we're doing it. Honestly, it's it's not really even so much about, by the way, it was Jaquan Brisker who says that he feels like, you know, because the Bears got booed out of the stadium early in the second quarter or early in the first half uh, that, uh, you know, that, that Bear fans should have their, we should have their backs and be more patient. And it's like, no, 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 no. See, you don't understand. Like, you're, you're, you're living in the moment of being booed. When the fans are booing having watched the Bears play like this, not only against the Packers, but f- against everybody, from time to time, more times than not, for the last, I don't know, 30 years since Ditka left and our consistent winning abilities, you know, were, were gone after uh, 92. I mean, he went 6-10 and 10 in his final year, but it's just like when, when we won the division in 91, it was like the, 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 like the seventh time in the last eight years or the sixth in the last seven, something ridiculous like that, that we, you know, we were always in the playoffs, we were always winning the division, and all that kind of stuff. And you hate to say something like this, but during the Ditka era, we were the Packers. We were the team that was always winning the division. We were the one that was always making a run in the playoffs, and it was just a matter of not if they got to the playoffs, but how deep would they go. And um, since Ditka got fired, we got Wanstead, you got Jerron. Um, well, I mean, we had some good times uh, under Lovey, but especially since Lovey got let go, you got... <sighs> You got, uh, what's his name, Tressman, then John Fox, then, uh, you know, Nagy and, and, and everything. So it's just, 
all of the anticipation, all the excitement, all everything that we were looking forward to. This was our moment. This is our chance to finally get over on Green Bay. Snap the losing streak that we're on. It was eight games going into Sunday. And then you come up, and it's just like, what were you guys doing during the preseason, during training camp? Because it looks like you're literally playing football for the first time today. Like, what the hell? And it's like, here we go again. Here we go again. It, just, it, it doesn't matter who the coaches are. It doesn't matter who the players are. It doesn't matter who the GM is. It's like, here we go again. That is why we were booing. We, we weren't pissed because you were losing to Green Bay today. It's because we're going to lose to Green Bay again. It's going to be nine in a row, which it was after Sunday's debacle. You know, it's going to be God knows how many losses over the last 30 years since Brett Favre took over in 92. Uh, it's, you know, the history of, of Bear fans being excited about the team that we are hoping to see on the field and being let down almost every time. That's where the booing is coming from. We weren't booing the 2023 uh, Chicago Bears. We were booing the organization because here we go again. Here we go again. That's where the frustration, that's where the booing comes from. And that's what I, for all the players that recognize the tradition and the, the longevity of this franchise, we literally started the goddamn NFL. None of them seem to grasp that the fans have been around just as long as this fucking team has been. And they're always upset about us being mad at them at that moment. Akeem Hicks did it. Uh, Eddie Jackson was belly aching about it. And now it's Jaquan Brisker. None of them seem to grasp the concept that it's not about being upset in the moment. It's about being pissed off about watching this team struggle for decades. Decades. You know, I, I, I put out a, a, a special, like, rant in response to uh, Akeem Hicks when he was bellyaching about the Bear fans booing, uh, booing the Bears in 2019. And it's like, dude, you, you have to understand. The Bears have been around literally for 100 years. This was the 100th season of football in 2019. So we're up to 104 now, okay? And Bear fans have existed since 2019, or 1919 when the season when, when the organization got started. So this thing has roots. It's something that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. I mean, it, it's 100 freaking years, man. Okay? We've all grown up watching, loving, and, and rooting for this team. And the last 30 years, man, have been rough. They have been rough. Aside from a nice little run under Lovey, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot to write home about when it comes to the Chicago Bears. But we still love them the same. Okay, the roots are deep. They are deep. They go back. <laughs> they go back in you know, a hundred years plus. So this is not about being upset that the Bears are losing to Green Bay on Sunday. It was being upset about the Bears losing to Green Bay again, and despite this this team that on paper looked like they were ready to take the next step, maybe not so much into contending for a world title, but getting their names out there, at least making the playoffs and, 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 you know, helping change the culture from a team that hopes to be there to a team that expects to be there. And right now, we're not even a team that expects to win this Sunday. And we should be laughing about this game with Tampa Bay. We should be ready to kill them uh, on Sunday. And instead, not only are we wearing the worst uniforms in football, we're going down there with 
a little to no confidence as far as I'm concerned. So it's that's why we're booing. And 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 it's not so much that the players that it, it doesn't bother me so much that the players are bothered by the booing. It's that they clearly don't get why we're booing. They just don't get it. Okay? Anytime that Bear fans have openly booed the Bears in their home stadium in Soldier Field, it hasn't really been about I mean, it's been spurred on by how they were playing that day, but it's more the frustration of continuously watching this team struggle no matter who we sign, no matter who we draft, no matter what hot coach or hot coordinator or general manager genius we bring in, we're bringing home the same results year after year. That is why we were booing. Because here it is, the most highly anticipated season since 2019 when we're coming off that that awesome 12-4 and four year, Nagy's first season, and then you know watching that one just piss down their leg. But the most highly anticipated season, we got DJ Moore, we got Darren Allwright, we got Justin Fields' weapons, we improved the defense, so maybe we can at least be middle of the road, which would be a vast improvement upon last year. And then you come out looking exactly the same as you did last year when we were the worst team in football, despite the fact that we have this great level of talent that we've added to the roster. So, yeah, we're pissed, and we're booing, and we're going to. Keep showing up like that, and it will continue to happen. Our frustration does boil over. Same as yours. Same as yours. But we've been at this a lot longer than you have, and we'll be here long after you're gone. So I don't like to talk about the players this way, but that's just the reality of the situation. Akeem Hicks hasn't been on the team in three years. He's long gone. I'm still here. So long after Jaquan Brisker hangs it up, I'll still be here rooting for this team, probably still doing this podcast and belly aching as long as the Bears continue to struggle, even though, you know, the organization manages to, to give us reason to hope every once in a while and then continually let us down in the end. So, you know, like I said, it doesn't bother me so much that the players are bothered being booed. That's kind of the point of us booing. It bothers me that they clearly don't get the context of it. They're living in the moment where it's our frustration over how the team has been playing for the last several years. No matter who the players are, no matter who the coaches are, no matter who the GM is, we struggle in the same way. We struggle against the same teams, and that's why we're booing on Sunday. So figure it out, guys. And I'm not talking about the play. I'm talking about understanding your fan base because they know we're passionate. They know that we're here for them. They know that we're, we have their backs and yet they get booed, and then they start bitching. Shut up. You don't like it, play better. Period. I hate to black and white it on you, but that's it. You don't like us booing, play better. Don't give me this, you know, uh, you know. You should have our backs and be paid. Fuck that. Fuck that. Play better. Period. <sighs> now I got to put an explicit tag on this goddamn thing. Anyway, that's all I got uh, for news and notes. Just got a lot off my chest. I feel so much better right now. Let's go ahead and, and bring in our guest, uh, uh, Rhett Matthew from the Cannon Fire podcast to uh, preview uh, this matchup between the Bears and the Bucks. A very surprising 0-1 Bears before against a surprising 1-0 Tampa Bay. So uh, let's go ahead and bring in our guest and uh, talk about this very interesting matchup. 
So week number two has our beloved Chicago Bears traveling down to Tampa to take on the Bucks, where it's going to be 800 degrees with 10,000% humidity. So I'm sure that that's probably why the Bears are going to wear the orange helmets and the orange jerseys so as to not have to wear the dark colors that I'm sure the home team would force us to wear. Uh, but here to help us preview this very interesting week two matchup from the Cannon Fire Pod- Podcast, it is Rhett Matthew. Rhett, welcome back, man. Pleasure to be back, Larry. Uh, internet issues be damned. We're going to yes. make this podcast happen, but We're always good to be back and uh, talk a ball with you. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, week one for your uh, Buccaneers. Um, you know, looking at it, uh, I was uh, in and out on the game on Sunday as I was kind of visually masturbating over the eight games that were available to me during the 12 o'clock uh, hour and, you know, in and out on it. And I wasn't expecting the Vikings to blow out Tampa Bay, but I was surprised with how scrappy and how tough the Buccaneers hung in there uh, throughout the game. And I think it was a surprise to a lot of people. The Vikings coming off the big year that they had last year uh, were favorites to to win this one. And while my guys were dominated thoroughly at home in an embarrassing loss to uh, Green Bay, you guys are considered the upset beating the formerly 13-4 and Vikings on the road. Yeah, I'm more so surprised by where the offense was week one. I mean, we knew Dave Canales. You know, he's a first-time play caller, new quarterback. Baker Mayfield had to come in and learn the system as well. There's a lot of leftover pieces from the Tom Brady era. Obviously, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin uh, still on the team, but a lot of young pieces. You know, the tight end group, one of the youngest in the NFL. And, and for the Buccaneers offense week one, I knew they weren't going to be scoring over 30 points. Uh, I definitely didn't think they were going to be as bad as they were in the first half of that game. But luckily, they had the defense, which I have been raving about for the last couple of months. Uh, they played so well in that first half. They kept the Bucks in the game, and they gave the offense time to get their feet wet. You know, Baker got more comfortable in the pocket as the game went on. Uh, Brian Flores was really bringing the heat on all the blitzes in that first half, and, and it showed. Uh, they made some adjustments in the second half and ultimately came around. And part of what they had to do is just start throwing the ball to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, you start putting the ball in the hands of your playmakers and plays will be made. But I like a lot of what I saw. Again, there's some areas that they have to get better. And uh, I think the inexperience factor is is going to be on full effect over the next four to five weeks for this football team. But the defense is playing great, picking up right where they left off in 2022. And uh, the offense, they showed us something they can build on. So as far as where the Bucks are after week one, I'm cautiously optimistic because I don't want to overreact, but I am pleasantly surprised with uh, with where they are on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and it, it was interesting when I went back and I was looking at like team stats and, and how the game all boiled down. Uh, unless I'm missing something, the Vikings won this game everywhere and except for two places. Number one, the turnover battle. And number two, the scoreboard, which is the most important uh, place because Kirk Cousins threw for over 300 yards. Justin Jefferson had a ton of... Uh, you know, ton of catches, ton of yards. Uh, the rookie uh, Addison, ha- you know, scored a touchdown uh, in this one. Aside from having trouble running the football, the Vikings seem f- efficient enough on offense and statistically, uh, you know, were, were very productive uh, on offense, but couldn't manage to uh, get things finished and apparently couldn't stop turning the ball over. Yeah, that discrepancy in the uh, in the box score is going to stick out to a lot of people. Over 120 yards of total offense between these two. I think the Bucks only finished with 240, 260, something like that. And uh, it was 369 for the Vikings. So when you look at that, 
You look at the success that they had throwing to Justin Jefferson, who finishes with a handful of catches and a buck 50 receiving on the day. You would think they probably would have beat the Bucks by more than three points or even a touchdown at that point. But again, talking about the defense in that first half, keeping Tampa Bay in that game. I mean, that's exactly what they needed. You know, if you can force any team uh, to, to get three tone turnovers in the first half, you're going to have a pretty good chance to to hang on to that game. And even then, with the lack of production, the Bucs were just keeping points off of the board. And and there were a lot of pivotal moments in that game where it felt like the Bucks' defense had to bend but not break. You know, a couple of goal line stops. They, they turned a touchdown into three points for Minnesota on one possession. And then to end the first half, the Christian Isian interception from the nickel cornerback spot, you know, that completely eliminates a touchdown or it completely eliminates points. And if the Vikings, you know, they were tearing up that zone coverage that entire first half of the game. If the Vikings get the shot that they needed on that drive and settle for three points, we're going to overtime because the Bucks only beat them by three, 20 to 17, your final score. So again, you know, the building blocks being put together on offense has a little bit more time to come together because of how well the defense has played. But uh, yeah, like you said, as far as the defensive approach, they weren't going to stop Justin Jefferson they were just going to have to focus on slowing down some of the guys around him. So, yeah, I mean, they absolutely got gashed in that first half. And the zone coverage has to be better, better playing man. Sometimes they play him in zone, and most of the time they get beat. So, with that being said, the adjustments they made going into the second half, you saw the lack of production for Justin Jefferson. I think he only had two catches for 12 yards, and when they needed him the most, he did not show up. Uh, when they needed that offensive drive to march down the field and make it a game, potentially take it back, they went three and out. So the defense being where it is complements the offense very well because there are going to be some growing pains over the next few weeks uh, with Baker and the offense. I can just, I, I can feel it. It's hasn't happened yet. May not happen this week, but we're going to get there. Well, it's, 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 um, you know, because the prognosis coming out of uh, training camp was not pretty. I mean, you saw the videos online of both Baker and Kyle Trask just flubbing one pass attempt uh, uh, after another uh, to their to your receivers uh, and all. Like it's like, boy, it's it's really looking ugly out there in Tampa. They're going to have to pitch shutouts uh, to win football games, and then to have Baker come out against the the Vikings and perform. Uh, the way that he did, statistically unimpressive, but efficient and mistake-free. No interceptions, no fumbles, uh, no mistakes whatsoever uh, against the uh, against the Vikings. It was uh, impressive, uh, to say the least. Yeah, Baker plays his best football when he doesn't have to think about what he's doing out there. You know, when you have an offensive system that keeps him fluid, uh, keeps the tempo, not high tempo, they don't have to go no huddle all the time, but, you know, just keep things consistent. I mean, it, short, consistent games are going to do dividends for the Bucks. You know, the run game was definitely not where it should be for a team that has said that they want to lean on the run, but it wasn't a bad start. Over 70 yards on the ground rushing, which compared to where they were last year, historically bad run uh, running game in 2022 for the Buccaneers. And it's an incredibly young running back room, but I would like to see the run get started a little bit early, but you know, Baker settled in in that second half and you saw it. it. You you just you saw it in the offensive production. You saw him play better. You saw him trust his offensive line a little bit more. You saw the Bucks get some more chance to, you know, play action rollout around the corner, get him throwing outside of the numbers because that's where he plays well too. 
The Bucks now have a quarterback who has the ability to, to scramble a little bit and show you some more on a play action rollout. So again, I, I think Baker plays his best ball, obviously when the run game works, but you know, when Canales is, 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 calling the game exactly the way he did in that second half after seeing what didn't work in the first half. I think that's going to lead to some long-term success. And like you alluded to Baker, when he plays well, he doesn't have to be a superhero. He doesn't have to throw 40, 50 touchdowns a year. He just has to not turn the ball over. He has enough weapons, even with, you know, the post Tom Brady era, as people like to call it, he has enough weapons on this offense in Tampa Bay to be a game manager and potentially win games. But Again, one of the things I would like to see get better is is that run game early on because uh, the first half was rough. They they weren't weren't doing a whole lot. Well, my friend, I, I tell you that you you've come to the right place if you're looking to uh, improve your running game uh, because uh, Aaron Jones ate the Bears' lunch all day long uh, because his offensive line uh, manhandled our defensive line for the majority uh, of that football game uh, on the opening drive. Uh, for for Green Bay, he get you know he gashed the Bears eight care eight yards here, seven yards there, uh, you know that kind of thing, and then he kind of disappeared for the rest of the first half, and it was like where's Aaron Jones? Where's Aaron Jones? And they bring him back, uh, 104 yards and two touchdowns later, uh, we know where Aaron Jones is. You know that it went from 10 to six at halftime to 24 to six halfway through the third quarter, and was over after that. You know with the way that we were playing on on offense, which was I don't know, conservative or scared or, or, or whatever it was that the Bears were, were trying to do that was flat out just not working. Um, you know, if you're, looking to, if you're looking for help with your run game, the, the Bears are what the doctor ordered. If, if what we saw on Sunday is, is any indication as to what you can look forward to. Yeah, and the Bucks are putting a lot of stock into second-year running back Rashad White. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a rotational guy behind Leonard Fournette last year. Uh, got some carries and looked good. Had a lot of had, had a lot of moments that led me to believe this guy can get more carries and continue to grow as a running back. Uh, but he is the running back one in Tampa until he's not at this point. And with the inexperience that you have, you know, your running back two is Sean Tucker, who is an undrafted free agent from Syracuse. And then your running back three is Chase Edmonds, who is a veteran, but he's not going to, uh, you know, take over the game by any means, I, I don't think. So with that being said, the Bucks want to see him hit that next level uh, because week one, he didn't like he, he was, I think, 17 carries for 40 something yards, only 2.3 yards per carry, which he ended up finishing like 40 yards below expectation, which I think is kind of a dumb stat. But, you know, people people think it's a, a negative thing uh, to tack on to his week one performance. But he, he just needs to make that big play. Like what he was missing in that first half uh, was an offensive line that was cohesive enough to start opening up holes because he's a north south runner. The Bucks are just going to hand the ball to Rashad White and send him right up the A gap. That's just how it is. Uh, you're going to see more of the outside zone stuff when it comes to Chase Edmonds or Sean Tucker when they get in the game. They're a little more explosive around the edge. But for Rashad White, they 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 are still waiting to see that one big 20, 30, 40-yard run. And I do think we get that against Chicago. But the longest run for the Buccaneers Sunday in that week one win was six yards by Rashad White. Um, so they're going to be looking for more production, and I think it's going to have to happen early in the game. The Bucs are going to commit to the run for another week in a row, but if the offensive line comes out fresh and Chicago is as fatigued on the D-line as you make it seem with their run defense, 
Uh, we'll see what that first half holds, but I, I think it's going to be another week of committing to the run and looking to see what Rashad White can do. Yeah, I don't know if it's so much fatigue as it is uh, our defensive coordinator is uh, incompetent um, because we're, we're seeing the same things going wrong with a so-called improved roster. You know, the, the expectation for the Bears last year wasn't high. It was definitely somewhat of a tank year or, you know, we started out the year wanting to win as many games as possible and then saw that where the season was going. And, you know, then Ryan Pohl started selling off assets and, and acquiring picks and uh, and things like that. But now, you know, we sign Andrew Billings. Uh, we, we, we have, you know, Justin Jones. We go out and sign Tremaine Edmonds, TJ Edwards to improve the second level uh, of our linebacking core we go out and get you know better pass rushers including uh Ngakwe, who did get a sack against green bay uh on sunday and yet we're still seeing the same problems we're getting gashed up the middle where we're supposed to be bigger faster stronger uh on the defensive line and uh you know if you guys we we will uh, i'll say this we're the best team in the league on first and second down but we're probably the worst <laughs> team in the league on third down you know, and it doesn't matter what the down and distance is, third and three, third and eight, third and fifteen. As long as your offensive line is getting their job done, they'll he'll, Baker will have the time to find Mike Evans. Not only will he find Mike Evans open, he'll find Mike Evans in a hole where he'll be there'll be a ten yard radius between him and the next closest defender. We saw Green Bay do it over and over and over again, and despite our improved, you know, uh roster uh from twenty twenty two uh, we're still seeing the same thing. So it's got to come down to scheme and to coaching if you're seeing the same problems with better, with better talent. So, uh, you know, if, 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 as long as your offensive line is getting the job done uh, up front, uh, you guys are going to be able to find success uh, against the Bears. Well, an offensive line is, is another question mark the Bucks had coming into this year. It's pretty much all five new starters. You know, Robert Hainsey is the only guy that started last season at the same position. Tristan Wurst making the jump from right tackle to left tackle. He's been fine. Week one, uh, he looked a lot better than I thought he would. So let's hope this transition stays as smooth as it has been. Left guard, you got Matt Filer, who again is a veteran signing. He wasn't an all-pro, which is why he was available as late as he was, but he is starting material. Robert Hainsey, uh, his third year, second year starting at center. And then your right guard is the rookie, Cody Malk, who actually, hats off to Cody Malk, he um, was on the injury report with a back injury two days before the Vikings game, came in, played 100% of the snaps. His first NFL start, uh, he's a dog, so I'm happy to see him out there. Big ginger guy as well, so yeah. Yeah, we love all the reinforcements. Uh, and then at right tackle is the biggest question mark on the line. That is Luke Gedeke, who did get some starting time at the left guard position last season. Uh, but he was pulled. He was just bad. He was so bad that, you know, they pulled him after four or five games. They threw Nick Leverett in there and they called it a day. Now, this guy is, you know, a, a, a mid-round draft pick for Tampa Bay. So obviously they have some stock in him and he's going to be your starting right tackle until he's not. But he struggled with Daniil Hunter last Sunday. I, I mean, the Bucks are facing some premier pass rushers over the first few weeks of the season. You mentioned Yannick Ngakwe uh, next week. They have, I should know who they have. I'm drawing a blank here. Week four, they have the Saints, so they got Cam Jordan. Right. Um, week three, why? Hold on. I, we can't get past this. This is going to drive me insane. I have yeah. the schedule. This is going to drive me nuts. Week three, week three, here we go. Week three, Tampa Bay. This is so unprofessional. Week three, they got the Eagles. That's why I couldn't remember because 
I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, Monday night football, they got the Eagles. They're going to be facing, you know, that defensive line. So just another test early on in the season. But uh, yeah, Luke Gedeke is is going to be interesting to watch. Hopefully he bounces back this week. But the consistency along that inexperienced offensive line is going to be something to watch because they were serviceable week one. But, you know, these younger guys, these inexperienced offensive linemen, they can they can stop gap and they can play well. You know, they can play well for two or three games, but can they play well for four or five or six, seven weeks in a row, taking a hundred percent of the offensive snaps? That's uh yet to be determined, but in a better place than some people thought they would be. Yeah, as a as a I'm a fantasy football hater, I'm more of a pick'em guy, and and over the years, I've learned that um, the two toughest weeks to make picks for are week one and week two. Because week one, you're basing all of your picks on what you know about these teams from last year. And then week two, you're basing your picks on what happened week one. And we found out the hard way in most cases that week one can be a very fluky week uh, at times. And I am hoping, praying in fact, that week one was a gigantic fluke for the Bears and that we're going to show up. And I know I've been playing the pessimist during this conversation, but it's just the the overwhelming disappointment that we had watching that game go the way that it did. We're supposed to have this improved roster. We're supposed to have a shot against Green Bay now that Aaron Rodgers is gone, and it basically looked like Rodgers and company all over again with the way we couldn't get anything done, the way that they were able to move the ball at will uh, against us, and, and they put up 38 points on us the whole nine yards. It was very disheartening to have to sit through. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that week two is a rebound to prove that week one was a fluke for us. You know, it's not your fault that Jordan Love looked like a JV quarterback in training camp (laughs) and OTAs over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I don't think a lot of people could have seen that coming. He did step in and play well when he needed to before. But, you know, as a as a Bucks fan, I can relate to I don't want to say your pessimism, but your realistic expectation. Yeah, because every year when you watch a bad team it's fun for about two, three weeks. And then, and then you kind of get to October and then it's, it's the push period where how much longer is this going to be fun? How many more weeks are we going to really be talking about staying competitive? Uh, when is this team going to show up? Right. I yeah. mean, the bucks had that issue in 2022. Every, every other week we're like, Hey, when is this team going to show up? Because this is not who we've seen in years prior, but the bucks are now back in that territory of like, it could go wrong at any moment. And, and I think some people who were maybe just here for the Brady years or expect a lot more from this team are going to be in for that reality check soon. But I don't blame you. Like you keep it realistic. You, you, you have to, you have to, because if you're the rah-rah guy on the podcast who says, Hey, we're going to win 11 games this year. And then they win five. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah I be was people who don't let you forget that. Yeah. I was careful to stick to windows. Like as far yeah. like I didn't come out and say, "Hey, this is how many games they're going to win." It's like they could win as little as this many. They could win as many as this many, and it, the the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And uh, so I didn't come out and say, "Hey, twelve and five, book it." Yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, we could probably." I say, I would say our our floor is six games, maybe seven. I would say the ceiling, if everything goes right, is is eleven. So. Yeah. Right now, we look like that floor would be, uh, you know, generous at this point if we come out and play 16 more games like the one that we played 
uh, on Sunday. And it just has to do with, like I said, number one, this was a very highly anticipated season. This improved roster, especially on offense, getting DJ Moore. We beefed up the offensive line. So now it's just like Justin Fields is out of excuses. We got him the tools. He's raring to go. We went out and got some help on defense. So hopefully we can at least be average, if not, you know, outstanding uh, and everything. And then we, and we got Green Bay week one without Aaron Rodgers. It's like, this would be a great way for us to make a statement that we're going to reclaim the North. And like, just like Ryan Pohl said in his introductory press conference, we're going to take the North and not give it back is our literal words that the man said. And here it is. Aaron Rodgers is gone. Ding dong. The witch is dead. And now it's time for us to stake claim on this division 72 hours after the lions beat the chiefs on, on national TV for the whole world to uh, see, you know, the, the, the so-called favorite to win the division this year, we've got a chance to make a statement against our most hated rival to, to snap the losing streak. Cause it was eight in a row coming into the game. It's nine now. Cause we did not show up for Sunday. And that's what was so disheartening about it. Everything that we were waiting for, we waited all hell dude. We've been waiting for this since week one of last year. You know, this knowing that polls had all of the draft picks, all of the salary cap space. And then on top, we had the number one pick, which we, you know, turned into four draft picks and DJ Moore. It's like it could not have gone any better for us. You know what I'm saying? And then for us to come out, DJ Moore got two targets for two catches in the second quarter. That was it. Didn't hear from again for the rest of the ballgame. And it just it could not have been more disappointing than it was. And the cherry on top was that it was the Packers that was doing it. Uh, to us, so I, I like DJ Moore. I, I do think he does add some legitimacy to that wide receiver room for sure. I also like Darnell Mooney. I've been high on the guy for a couple of years now. Um, but just the absolute state of that division, you know, the NFC North being where it is right now. You already talked about the Aaron Rodgers Green Bay departure, um, but Detroit coming on strong. A lot of people picking them for the division, possibly. Dan Campbell has him in a good spot, especially the upset on the road. I know it's Week One. Probably going to be an outlier for Kansas City, but it's a good upset, and everybody loves that nonetheless. Yeah. And then Minnesota. I know they were a 13-win team last year, but in my humble opinion, kind of fluky. Uh, they had to collapse late in the season, and what was it, like nine or ten of those games were decided by... One score, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you run that back this season, some of those games are probably going to end a little bit differently. So not to say that the Vikings aren't that good of a team, but... Every team in the AFC North feels like it's just kind of a, they're either going to be, eh, yeah, or they're going to be a lot better than people think. Right. right? Like, if they win 11, 12 games, I still think for them, that's a year that they're going to be a lot better than people think. Because right. a lot of the predictions I saw for them was six to seven wins this year. Uh, Detroit, it could be a tough division like we saw in the NFC South last year where your division winner has maybe nine or ten wins, but Detroit's a gritty team. They're going to win some games this year. And then, uh, like you said, the Bears hopefully looking to see some more of that updated roster as the season goes on. Yeah, and we, we definitely need to uh, snap out of whatever funk we were in uh, on Sunday uh, and, and, and definitely show up for this one. So I, I guess that's what kind of makes the Bears dangerous coming into the, this one because they have a lot to answer for, for what they did. They knew that their fan base was excited uh, about this team, they knew their fan base was excited about that game uh, against Green Bay, and they did not show up for it. You know, their performance was pathetic on both sides uh, of the ball. We couldn't get anything done, no matter what we tried to do, uh, and, and there was no consistency in anything that we did 
uh, against Green Bay. It's just like, what the hell is this? We've been waiting, we've been waiting eight months for this. Yeah. Ever since you know January, when we were literally pulling guys off the street just to fill out a roster for the Minnesota game, here we are eight months later. This is what we've been waiting for. This is this is for real. We got DJ Moore. We're we're ready to go. Let's uh, let's see that golden arm that Justin Fields had at Ohio State. We got somebody to go deep with and and all that kind of stuff. And you just didn't see it. You didn't see it. And you know they do have a lot to answer for this Sunday. And hopefully they come in with that chip on their shoulder. Like we're better than what we showed the world we were uh, on Sunday, and and you know, hopefully take it out on you guys uh, for a little bit, and 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 get themselves back on on track to to being, you know, what they think they're the beer, and what a lot of people think that they're capable of. Uh, you know, nobody's saying that the Bears are contenders this year, but nobody was saying that they were going to be the team that got just you know raked all over the field uh, against Green Bay on Sunday. You know, some people probably picked the Packers to win, but nobody picked them to dominate the Bears the way that they did. Yeah, but when any team goes in like the Bears did last offseason, clearly they had a mission. They wanted to get some help for their QB. So when any team uses resources like that, has the offseason that they did, uh, just that marginal improvement is what you're looking for year to year. Like you said, nobody picked the Bears to be Super Bowl contenders, but you'll want to see them not wind up with the number one overall pick. So, yeah. you know, the expectations are definitely higher than uh, the product they showed on the field week one. But again, you kind of hope that week one is an outlier for some of these teams. And and I think for some teams, it's just going to take, you know, a couple extra weeks to come on. The inexperience factor may be something to monitor depending on what their situation is. But, um, you know, I, I think the Bears are a team that can definitely come around uh, as the season goes on, I, I'm a fan of Justin Fields. I believe yeah. in him. Well, you know, I, I and I said it on my NFL show when I was previewing uh, the game uh, yesterday that um, both teams are out to prove something on on Sunday. The Bears are out to prove that Week One was a fluke. The Bucks are out to prove that Week One wasn't a fluke. You know that they can go out there and and beat teams like Minnesota or or at least what Minnesota was last year, uh, you know, kind of thing. A 13-4 and four team at home, you know, they go on the road and, and, they, and they, they shut down this offense. That the reason that they won so many of those one-score games is because they simply outscored their opponents because their defense was atrocious, which is why they have Brian Flores instead of Ed Donatel uh, as their offensive coordinator. You guys did the one thing, like in their four losses, I think they, like total, they may have scored like 40 points in those four losses because they got beat like 40-something to three against the Cowboys, 38-7 to or something against the in the rematch against Green Bay last year. When their offense was shut down, they were done. But it's like in, in those other games, like that Colts game, they're down 33 to nothing or whatever it was. They score 36 points and come yeah. back to uh to to win the game. You know, when they beat the Giants, it was, you know, 30 something points to whatever it was the Giants, you know, came in the one score game there. They were able to win these one score games because they were able to outscore their opponents. They weren't beating many teams. They were just outscoring them because their defense wasn't stopping anyone. So uh, and and it's like you guys went out there and bottled up that offense, only allowed 17 points, and you only needed 20 to to make the difference. And in a one score game, the first one of 2023, they're 0 and 1 as opposed to being what 11 and 0 or something crazy like that yeah. last yeah. year. So yeah, it's uh, 
it's it, it's a wonder what we're what are we looking for in in the defense or what can we look forward to from that defense that was able to bottle up Kirk Cousins despite 11 letting him throw for over 300 uh yards they were able to keep the Vikings pretty much off the scoreboard for the most for the for the game yeah, the biggest difference for the Bucks defense headed into this year compared to years past is the youth movement they've had along the defensive line. Uh, first round pick, Elijah Cansey, he played a little bit in that first drive, second drive, I think, but he was out the rest of the game, re-aggravated an injury. Probably shouldn't have played, but hopefully we see him come back at some point in the season. He still did have time to make a play, though. Uh, Logan Hall, second year defensive tackle. Greg Gaines, the Bucks just signed from the Rams over the course of the offseason. Brock back William Golston, who is a 10-plus year vet. Uh, but Joe Tryon, Shoinka, Anthony Nelson, Shaq Barrett, round out your edge rushers. Cam Gill, I think, still on the roster as well. Uh, your linebacker, Corey Levante, David, Devin White. I think the mission statement for the Bucks really is getting home, getting pressure on the quarterback with four down linemen, because that's been an issue. Uh, in 2020, you know, the Super Bowl championship defense, as good as they were, they weren't a very great team at getting after the quarterback without relying on the blitz. And Todd Bowles dialed dialed back on the blitz a little bit in 2022. And I think he might want to do that again in 2023 because he wants to see what these linemen could do. You know, you've got a big guy like Vita Vey in the middle, hopefully opening up opportunities for the more athletic players. And you've seen them used in different schematic ways uh, even so far this season to where like Kalijah Kansi made his biggest play of the game last week on a stunt, you know, stuff like that. Opening up that, that creative playbook that we know Todd Bowles has is going to be interesting, but I don't know how much they're going to blitz early in this game. I, I don't, they're going to want to coax Justin Fields into making some mistakes because I know this is your three for him. Correct. Well, for fields. Yeah. Yeah. You're number three. Yeah, and, and the Bears put a lot of faith in him. Obviously, the reinforcements going and, and trading away the number one pick to go get DJ Moore and some of these other pieces, they they have a lot of faith in what he can do. But I still think in, in some ways he's unproven. You know, oh, I do sure. think uh, he is the type of quarterback where he can be pressured. He he can just simply be coaxed into making a mistake. And uh, whether the Bucks send Antoine Winfield Jr. on a blitz to do that, um, or they just rely on their front four and, and try and play more of a coverage scheme. I am curious to see what you know that first half looks like because if they have to make adjustments, they're going to do it at, at halftime. Don't get me wrong, and you'll see whatever more of what you need to in that second half, but I'm curious how aggressive they're going to be with the blitz. That's the big thing. Can they force Justin Fields to make mistakes just with the four down linemen they have, or you know the five counting your 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 pass rushers, your outside linebacker, since they run this weird hybrid three four, but uh, their dependency on the blitz, I think, is is going to be the biggest turning point for the Bucks defense this week. Yeah, and I just like I hate to be the pessimist, but after the way that our offensive line uh, performed uh, on Sunday, where there was somebody routinely. And they were just running stunts up front. The, the Packers yep. did not blitz very much uh, against the Bears that I can recall. Uh, there, there was one brilliant play that Fields did where he, he saw Jair Alexander coming and made a great move to, to shake him and, and ended up making a play uh, on that one. But I, I don't remember them sending the house uh, after the Bears because, frankly, they didn't need to. They were, they were simply getting home running stunts and, uh, and confusing this offensive line, which was a concern going into the season 
because our the the starting five that we had that we were supposed to have uh number 1 did not play together at all during the preseason. Then our best offensive lineman in Tevin Jenkins goes down with a calf injury that's going to keep him out of the first four games because they put him on IR for it. Uh, Cody Whitehair, who went into the season as our starting center, gets a hand injury and then is moved over to left guard to cover for Tevin Jenkins. Um, uh, Patrick, our, our center, is you know was supposed to be our starting center last year but couldn't stay healthy, and we had to settle for Sam Mustafer, who was a walking disaster, and thankfully he's on the Baltimore practice squad right now or wherever the hell he ended up uh, <laughs> kind of thing. You know, we didn't see much of Darnell Wright after the first preseason game. Nate Davis, our newly signed right guard, didn't play at all for one reason uh, or another, whether it was some kind of personal issue or because it wasn't an injury, or at least that's what we've been able to ascertain uh, or whatever. These guys just did not play together. And as an offensive lineman, when during my playing days, it was preached to me that the offensive line is the team within the team. And as long as those guys are hot, you can pretty much guarantee that the offense is going to be fine. And that unit had not played together other than probably the, the, the three or four days of practice they had coming into the season, and it showed. It absolutely showed. There was no chemistry. These, you know, they didn't know what the, the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing, and it was a mess uh, up front. So as long as you guys have your shit together, I think, uh, you know, you guys might be okay only having to send four uh, to get after fields or at least disrupt what the bears are trying to do. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, how do you think this game is going to go Sunday? Um, you know, it, we, we talk about Justin Fields and that's kind of where I wanted to gauge your expectations for the offense. Uh, we know what the bucks are going to try and do on defense. I, I still think they're going to rely on that pressure with their front four, but if they have to get creative with the blitz then absolutely they will. But do you think the Bears are going to try and air it out, or are they going to try and, and maybe rely on the run game early as well? If today's press conferences are any indication, they are absolutely going to try to get the ball downfield. Um, because Justin Fields had 37 pass attempts on Sunday. Three of them were for 10 yards or more. Two of them to Darno Mooney, one of which was a 20-yard touchdown pass in the third quarter. So, you know, it's they just didn't do it. With DJ Moore and Chase Claypool, who are our 50-50 ball guys, we didn't even try to heave one downfield, see if they could win a jump ball situation against somebody or, or anything like that. Uh, Chase Claypool was sleepwalking his way through the game on Sunday. His performance was like it, like he may not, he might be a healthy scratch on Sunday based on how poorly he played. I mean, he's making that trade that Ryan Poles made for him look like one of the worst in NFL history. Right were you now. guys having issues? Were you guys having similar issues with him last year? Last year, it, they were chalking it up to him not being familiar with the playbook, trying to learn the offense on the fly, uh, kind of thing, and and uh, praising the fact that he was here for the entire off season. He's much more up to speed on what's going on. He was excited, saying that Luke Getzey was uh, was dialing up the offense to do what worked for him as a rookie, because you know Chase Claypool kind of took the league by storm. His yeah. uh, his rookie year, and then it's kind of faded in the time because the the Steelers moved him into the slot position when he was having all of his success on the outside. The Bears are going to put him back on the outside where he was having that success, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh, and he was really excited about it. And it's like I don't know what the hell happened on Sunday, but DJ Moore, who's one of the more highly anticipated players we've had since we traded for Brandon Marshall 
just wasn't wasn't present or actually it wasn't even DJ Moore's fault, but two targets for two catches. So he got the job done when the ball went his way. But, you know, Chase Claypool, I think, got one target that he dropped like on a screen pass or something like that. And, uh, you know, we just couldn't get anything going on offense. How do I see the game going on Sunday? Even though I've been Mr. Pessimist, I'm optimistic about the game, hoping that they will respond, that they will, you know, bounce back, that they will fix what was wrong uh, on Sunday or at least improve upon it. And, you know, like I think on on paper, I think the Bears are the better team, uh, you know, even though you don't hear a whole lot of confidence in my voice when I say that. You know, when I was going through, like, the schedule looking at wins and losses, I was counting on a win uh, in Tampa Bay. And if we were going to lose, I was probably going to blame it on the weather, that we were just beaten down by the the, the crazy heat in, in Florida that time of year uh, and everything, especially since out here in, in the Chicago area, it's been in the mid-60s, uh, you know, for like the past couple of weeks. It is beautiful out here, you know, as we get ready for the fall. We're just getting over the hurricane weather. You know, we had uh, whatever that hurricane was called a couple of weeks ago come through and kind of cool things down for about a week, week and a half. But now we are back to standard operating procedure. <laughs> a high of 96 degrees, a thousand uh, humidity, and it, it feels like 125. Yeah, it's, I, I can't. Uh, I, middle of Florida just before the fall. Yeah, I can't, bro. I don't know how you guys do it day in and day out. I mean, I know you probably get used to it. Uh, after a while, that it's uh, not as big a deal as it would be, uh, but it's like I just, I just can't, I can't. Like I've, I've been literally been to Tampa one time, back in two thousand one in late November. It was eighty five with humidity that could choke a, choke an animal to death. It was, it was awful, absolutely awful. It's like it's November, when we left Illinois to come here, it was forty one degrees outside. It yeah. is eighty five, and I can feel the air on my skin. That's I'm how sunburned. Yeah. It's eight- in the morning and i've got sun poisoning you yeah know, it's, it's like we our hotel was like right across the street from like bush gardens out in yeah. tampa and all my friends were like you know we're playing a night game so let's go to the bush gardens like no absolutely not i am not going to be outside sweating my ass off for five hours you know i was like no way no i'm going to be in the ac in the hotel room watching college football that's what i'm doing today to hell with that so yeah no way it's like no no man no thank you so but I, I think we can do it. We're capable of it. Do I think? Here's the thing, and this is how I always kind of qualify it. Do I think we can do it? Yes. Will we do it? <laughs> eh, I don't know. I think so. I think so. You know. But in like in my pick'em league, uh, I'm gonna pick the Bears. But the confidence points are gonna be like one or two this week. It is. It is. You know, confidence is not high after what we saw. Uh, on on Sunday, it's like they have the talent and the capability to get it done and to be better than they were, but until they do it, it's a see it to believe it kind of situation for us. You know, it seems like the Bears are a team the Bucks play more times than not. Yeah, and whenever these teams get together, with all due respect, <laughs> I feel like it's it, these last couple of years, the last five or six, seven years, whenever these teams have played, whether it's in Chicago or in Tampa. It's one or two different kinds of games. It's either close and competitive yeah, and maybe frustrating, you know, maybe frustrating for both teams. Everyone remembers that uh, I think it was a Thursday night game, 2020 
Chicago and the Bucks. Brady forgot it was fourth down. Right. All of that good stuff. That was frustrating. That was the yeah. most frustrating game of the year. I have gone back and I have watched every single game from that 2020 season. Uh, even the losses, except for that one, and then obviously the 48-3 to loss against New Orleans at home. But when it's not that kind of game... The Bucks are usually on that ass, mm-hmm. and uh, whenever they play in Tampa these last couple of years, oh, man. the Bucks are usually on that ass. And I'm yeah. not saying it's going to get out of hand this Sunday. That's not at all what I'm saying. I do think, I do think, with the growing pains on the offensive side of the ball for the Bucks and the fact that they are going to rely on the run game, I think it's a lower scoring affair, and I think it's close. I don't think it's going to be as close as a finish as Week One was uh, between the Bucks and Minnesota. Like that really came down to it. I think this one will be short up with about four, five, six minutes left to go. Maybe a late game interception by one team or the other. But if we're doing score predictions, then I have the Bucks winning uh, twenty-four to twenty-four to twenty. Okay. 24. I was going to say twenty-four seventeen, but that, that's a big spread, and I, I think they'll keep it a close game. So twenty-four twenty. I think touch- that sounds about right to me. I was thinking like twenty-three twenty Bears. Uh, kind of thing uh, very much in line with you like it's probably going to be some kind of late turnover or or something like that 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 kind of you know like I think the final score will be established like well like with the Minnesota game you guys took the lead with about five minutes to go and managed to hang on to it uh, for the rest of the game and it's just a matter of you know somebody holding on in those last five minutes uh, to uh, to come away with the Win. That's why I feel like twenty three twenty makes sounds about right uh, to me. Uh, for me, it's more the context of how the Bears play than actually winning the game. For me, like, are, 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 have we have we shored things up so that win or lose, we look like a much better football team that might actually, you know, have some kind of business taking the field against the Chiefs next week? Because otherwise. That's going to be an absolute bloodbath in Kansas City, you know. Yeah, yeah, tough, tough opponents uh, in Week Three for both Chicago yeah, and Tampa. the Super Bowl teams. Yeah, getting both of the Super Bowl teams from last year. The Bucks playing Philly on Monday Night Football, and uh, that will be at home in Raymond James. It is Rondé Barber Enshrinement Night, so they're just going to piss off Philly even more by showing highlights of that wonderful pick. There you go. Yeah, game at halftime and showing off that beautiful Hall of Fame bust that Rondé finally got. But, uh, you know, it's a tough game for both of these teams. And, and I don't think either of them are in a position to be looking ahead to the next week. But they know that, like you said earlier, they're going out there to play with something to prove. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, in, in, in my preview on my NFL show, they both do have something to prove. The Bears are out to prove that, that week one, that's not who we are. That was a fluke. We're going to show up and, and be the team that everyone thought we were. Uh, coming in and the Bucks are out to prove that week one wasn't a fluke because week one is that that fluky you know mm-hmm. that that fluky week you, you know you see it happen all the time week uh, one is when the Lions beat the Chiefs yeah or week one is the Browns dominate the the Bengals 24 to 3 or yeah. the 49ers go on the road from the west coast to the east coast play what is essentially for them a 10 a.m game and dominate the Steelers from the outset, thirty to seven. Like it, the Steelers never got off the bus uh, in their home stadium against the the Forty yeah. Nineers. Now, granted, the Forty Nineers are Super Bowl favorites uh, this year, but you didn't expect them to run the Steelers off the field uh, the way they did. 
Uh, yeah, the high so, expectations for Pittsburgh this year, too. Yeah. I, the AFC North, that's going to be a tough division. But Pittsburgh has is, is been like a, a team that I've seen pop up more often than not as a lot of people's AFC picks. So curious to see if they can bounce back. But that was pure domination by uh, by Brock Purdy in the Niners week one. Yeah, and then the, the Giants letting the letting the Cowboys come into MetLife and put 40 on them and getting shut out in the in the pro I mean it was embarrassing like I was, I, I I tweeted on Monday uh, I was like you know what guys there's worse thing in the world to be than bear fans we could be rooting for the Giants right hey, now you, you could be rooting for the Jets uh you know not oh to, my not, god dude not talk about New York sports but you talk about the 40 to nothing beat down on prime time and then 24 hours later uh we get, <laughs> Just absolute tragedy for the New York Jets and in, in, in the Aaron Rodgers situation. It's four maybe plays in, dude. Worse. Maybe there's been worse because I don't fully understand the legacy of how bad New York football, New York sports have been yeah. over the course of history. But that's got to be like the worst 24 hours on record uh, as far as games played for New York fans in, in MetLife Stadium. Yeah, it's just been a bad year. Both the Mets and the Yankees suck uh, this year. The Giants get a 40-burger put up on them on, on Sunday Night Football, national TV. Then the most highly anticipated start to a Jets season in a really long time. Like, hey, man, we've been building this roster, all this young talent. We got this great head coach and Robert Sala. We got the missing piece. Like, if we had Aaron Rodgers last year, we're in the Super Bowl kind of thing. Here he yeah. is, four plays into the season, ruptured Achilles, done for the year. We are back to Zach Wilson being our starting quarterback, which is exactly where we didn't want to be. It's uh, it's brutal. So yeah, like I said, there's worse things to have been on, uh, you know, than uh, than a Bears fan uh, after you know what happened. But you know, they've they've got a lot to prove, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, on Sunday, I, I am uh, cautiously optimistic, uh, but you know, as a, as a lifelong fan of the franchise, I'm also uh, extremely pessimistic as well. It's like the first thing that goes wrong, it's going to be like, all right, here we go, here we go, this is it. You know, I don't even know why I bothered watching. You know, kind of thing. So we'll see. People abandoned ship early. They they were they were used to it for so many years down here that like by the turn of October people are pulling up the mock draft machine to see what they, <laughs> you know get the get the bucks in position to do next spring. But I think for both of these teams these are critical seasons just because the expectations coming into it. Yeah. Uh for the Bears, I know you said last year expectations are pretty low. This year things are different for the Bucks. You know, they took a step down as far as everyone's overall expectations. Like, they, they don't think this is going to be a decent team. I mean, not even a, a halfway decent team. A lot of people think this is going to be the second worst team in the NFL without Tom Brady at quarterback. Yeah. I don't think that's the case, but both of these teams are going to have an interesting season because when you talk to the fans, it's so divided. It's it's so like we're either going to win three or four games this year or we're going to win 11 and 12 and, and go on a playoff run. So a lot to prove with both of these young teams, but should be an exciting season the rest of the way. Well, I mean, especially since both of our teams are in what would be considered wide open divisions yeah. this year. Yeah. You know, with with uh, with Brady gone, uh, you know, brand new quarterback in Carolina, uh, you know, Atlanta going going it going the, the distance with Desmond Ritter. Uh, at quarterback, Derek Carr making the move over to uh, New Orleans, and the division with the win division winner was eight and nine. Everybody else was seven and ten, so it was pretty much a, a neck and neck division 
last year, and then now the Bears. It looks like the Vikings are taking a step back. The, the Lions taking a step up. The Packers are without Aaron Rodgers, and the Bears, you know, did a lot of improving over the offseason. It could go either way. Like, nobody's going to be surprised with how this division finishes up uh, no matter what. So it's it's one of those wide-open years for both of our divisions. So it is going to be exciting the rest of the way to see how it all shakes out. Agreed. So, Eret, thanks so much uh, for, for coming back on. I, I appreciate you uh, joining us and, and helping me talk through this uh, very uh, traumatic week one loss. And uh, I know that I've been, uh, you know, boohooing my way uh, through this, but I, I do think the Bears can win the game. The level of confidence on will they win it? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I think they can. Will they? I think so, but I won't be surprised after the way they played on Sunday if they come away 0-2 uh, on this thing. So Hey, it's only week two, man. We got a lot of football left, yep. and uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I- I'll, take, I'll take a bad day of NFL football over anything else at this point. Amen to that. Amen to that. And, and if we lose, you know, the number one reason for that loss will be the orange helmets and the orange jerseys because that is a okay. god awful uniform concept. What do you, you before we go? Just a little bonus question here. What do you make of that? Uh, I, I don't think it's official, but have you seen the mock-ups of a white helmet? It depends because I've seen some that put the bear head on the side. No, I, thank you. Yeah, no, you, you're opposed to the bear I'm head logo on the helmet. One hundred percent. Okay, uh, it's the the white helmet configuration that I like is you keep the C on the side, orange C navy trim, as opposed to orange C white trim on the navy helmet, navy face mask, no stripes. Because every configuration I keep seeing, they put stripes on the helmet. We've never had a stripe on the helmet ever. No need for the stripe. White helmet, orange C, navy trim, navy face mask, white from head to toe, I'm all about it. The polar bear look, count me in. You know, count me in. A lot of people don't like the unitard uniforms as far as like, you know, red on red, white on white, uh, primary, primary color, but I love it. It I will say the Bucks white on white uniform, while it is sharp, it's probably my least favorite of what we have. Mm -hmm. I think our red jersey, white pants is the cleanest combo that we have, but they don't bust it out very often. They usually save that for for preseason or like one game a year. Right. Uh, But we also get the return of the creamsicle against the Lions this year. So I'm I'm pumped up for that. I was was hoping that they might bust that out against the Bears, the old NFC Central rival uh, kind of thing, uh, being week two and everything. But I guess we're the ones that go out there and look like goof tards in the orange uniforms instead so looking forward and and the only thing is that it's uh it's i'm optimistic because then that's if we're gonna do we did one on the road and one at home last year so at least we got one of those two appearances out of the way early just get it done as opposed to last year they did it twice in three weeks so Mm. yeah that was a rough stretch so yeah, I'm curious to see if the Bucks make it around the horn with their uniforms this year. They've got at least the ones that I know of. They did wear red on white in the preseason, so maybe check that off of the list. But they got white jersey, white pants, white jersey, pewter pants. Sometimes they wear that at home. Mostly they wear that at home early in the year. Then the creamsicle. And then, of course, the classic red and pewter. And then the all pewter, which I forget about now that we have the creamsicle back. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people really like the all pewter, but I, I don't know. I would rank it maybe one above the white on white for me. It's not my favorite alternate we've had. 
Well, when it comes to when it comes to uh, the the, the so called color rush, and thank God that's something that went away. But um, <laughs> like that was kind of like a color rush uniform. That one would would rank high on the color rush power ranking for me. Right, right. It, it was just it was a decent. It was a good look as far as you know color rush standards are concerned, which the bar is not high for color yeah. rush, but. You know, as far as like, you know, the other uniform configurations, yeah, I'd probably put it somewhere on the the bottom half uh, yeah. f- for you guys, the pewter from head to toe. And uh, you brought this up against the right person because I am a self-professed uniform snob. I love uh, it. So I do I keep, I, I always keep track of this, this, uh, this kind of thing, like the lions and that blue helmet that they're breaking out this year. Number one, love the color, love the color, hate the logo. What the oh, hell is the logo? And, and I, I understand. Helmet. Yeah, it's it's an anniversary logo. I get it. But it looks like a five-year-old drew that in, in finger painting class or something like that. It's awful. Absolutely awful. And they're breaking it out with their, their all gray uniforms. So you, they're yeah. going to look like a lollipop with this, this blue helmet and then this bland gray uniform underneath it. I was like, no, that doesn't work at all. So, yeah. There's just certain things that work, certain things that don't. I think gray is a very slippery slope. There's yeah. too much that can go wrong with a gray uniform. Uh, okay, last uniform comparison I'll throw out there. I All know right. we're on a good topic here, but uh, the University of Tennessee just dropped. They have these gray, like smoky gray uniforms, but they're a callback to some old uniforms that they had before with an orange shoulder lining. Oh boy. But it doesn't go all the way to the edge of the shoulder pad, it stops right at the stitching. And it looks ridiculous. I don't know if you've seen those, but some yeah. of the worst football unis I've seen this year. Yeah. And Tennessee usually has good ones. Don't get me started on college football. You know, like oh. the University of Oregon, they've played 110 games and had 110 different uniform configurations in that time. Whereas the best team in the country, or traditionally anyway, Alabama, same two uniforms that they do not stray from, and they're just one national championship after another. Or even the Georgia Bulldogs. They don't get yeah, fancy yeah. with the uniforms, and they're their ones hoisting the trophy two years in a row. So, I don't know. Maybe think about that a little bit. Spend a little more time on football, a lot less time on, on uh, you know, how the how the bird uh, wing is going to go on the helmet or, you know, all that kind of nonsense. The, the best kind of uniform is one that you can set up and not change for 60 years. Look at yes. Chicago. You know, the, the Bucks made the mistake. They made the pewter power transition in 1996. Never should have gone away from it. And they can tell you that because they literally went back to fix what wasn't broken after they just completely ruined uh, the Bucks uniform in 2014. So that was a dark period. But oh, with the digital clock that numbers that they had? On oh, the, just like I absolutely hated that uniform. I mean, bro. hey, the color rush, the color rush for those uniforms, I did like. I know the alarm clock uniforms were there, but they had like a pewter number and the red on red. I thought that was sharp. Yeah. But those uniforms were hideous. Just absolutely embarrassing. A low point for uh, the aesthetic of the franchise. Indeed. Indeed. Not to mention they blew up the the, hel- the flag on the helmet to like twice yeah, the way size. Too big. Way too big. Way too big. Chrome face mask. Yeah. I didn't hate, but it wasn't a good look with the rest of the uniform. Yeah. So... Anyway, sounds like we could do a podcast on this, you know. It was like, hey, it's the weekly uniform, you know, show. Yeah, let's uh, run it down. There you go. But, uh, Rhett, thanks so much, man. This was a great time. Um, where can we uh, Where can we find uh, Cannon Fire uh, on, online? Anywhere you download a podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, 
And then uh, you can also watch with video on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Cannon Fire Podcast. And then social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Awesome. Brett Matthews, thanks so much for uh, helping us out. Good luck on Sunday, at least. Hopefully everyone comes back healthy, win or lose. Thank you, Larry. Good talking to you, buddy. And there you have it, guys. Bears, Bucks, and our good friend, Rhett Matthew, from the Cannon Fire Podcast. Uh, always want to thank our guests for, for coming on the show and taking time to, uh, to help talk us through what uh, could be ahead. And, uh, yeah, maybe one of these days, all you uniform snob fans, uh, Rhett and I will get together and, and do <laughs> a podcast about uniforms and why they bother us or what we love, what we hate, so on uh, and so forth. I mean... I think I could do a podcast on that. That would be fun. But uh, anyway, guys, uh, let's go ahead and get into our keys to the game and wrap this bad boy up. Um, Stop me if you've heard this one, but uh, key number one to the game, and since we've already got the explicit tag on it, let's just go ahead and ride along with it. Protect the fucking quarterback. Protect the quarterback. I mean, it's, it's not so much that we need to protect him because he's one of those guys that can't handle being other pr- under pressure. It's that he's got no time to find anybody. He was under pressure over 60% of the time against Green Bay on Sunday. Over 60% of the time. Pathetic. Protect the quarterback. You know, it, the reason he kept going to the checkdowns is that he didn't have three full seconds to find DJ Moore or Claypool. God, don't get me started on Chase Claypool. But, you know, or Mooney or Komet or anybody for that matter. All he could see was like, oh, there's Herbert out of the backfield. Dump it off. Oh, there's so-and-so in five yards deep in the flat. Boom, there we go. You know, like people are out here thinking that uh, the Bears are doing this on purpose because they don't trust Justin Fields to be able to throw the football downfield. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Okay, Justin Fields could throw it out of the goddamn stadium if he wanted to. He just two things. Number one, he doesn't have any. He doesn't have enough time, and number two, he doesn't have all the time that he had when he was at Ohio State, where he had eight seconds to throw the ball, and Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba and all those guys were able to you know run their route sixty yards down the field, and Fields would hit him in stride every single time. Go back and watch the I want to say the Sugar Bowl when they beat. Uh, Trevor Lawrence in company, and he was throwing those bombs with a broken rib, by the way. He can throw it downfield. He just needs the time in order to, to get the ball uh, down the field. It's so difficult for him to find DJ Moore and Claypool and Tunyon and Komet underneath a pile of fucking bodies. So, yeah, protect the fucking quarterback, and we might see this offense get off the ground. We'll just, you know, it, it's just a crazy theory of mine. We can protect, and which is going to be important because – if I'm, um, what's his name, the goddamn head coach, Todd Bowles, if I'm Todd Bowles, I'm sending at least six guys every time. At least six are going to be rushing, you know, sending the blitz. Uh, and that's if, that's if he can't get home with four. Green Bay did not have any trouble getting to us with four the other day, but they don't have the same pass rushers that, we, that Green Bay does. So I, I would be saying, you know, at the very least, I'm sending five. 
at the very least. It's a one-on-one situation. Somebody's going to lose. That's proven so far. So, yeah, protect the quarterback, and we just might see this offense get off the ground. Wild theory, I know, but how about we employ that strategy uh, on Sunday? Speaking of strategies, on defense, against Baker Mayfield, he's not a world beater by any stretch of the imagination, but he loves to scramble. He has a gift for improvisation, so it's almost like playing an option team. You want to maintain your assignment integrity, especially if we do manage to get any kind of pressure on Mayfield because he loves to run around. He's, he's very manzellish as far as his ability to run around, or he's not afraid to run around. Hell, he just won the, uh, the Angry Runs Award from Good Morning Football because of uh, how he ran against Minnesota uh, on Sunday. He's not afraid to use his feet. It's not the first thing you think of when you think about Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is how tough the guy is, but, you know, you just want to be able to maintain your assignment areas uh, when, uh, you know, it, it just don't let it turn into, you know, backyard football when he breaks the pocket because that's when all of a sudden so-and-so is wide open and, you know, they just got a 30-yard a gain on, uh, you know, third and 15 or something crazy uh, like that. So maintain assignment integrity. Just keep your eye on your man or whatever. Do not fall for Mayfield breaking the pocket and leaving your man alone. You'll just be giving up a big play. Uh, and then finally, we must have amnesia about week one, or at the very least, we got to have amnesia about a bad play or an early mistake. We don't want to have a, a mistake early on, like an incomplete pass, or God forbid, like, you know, say if Justin Fields does get DJ Moore wide open down the middle of the field and DJ drops the ball. Not likely to happen, but, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. And you can't let an early mistake put everyone in the here-we-go-again mindset because if that happens, we've already lost the game. I mean, we're already playing in the worst uniforms in football, so that whole look-good, play-good shit is out the window right now. Like, before we even get on the plane to Tampa, we're already behind the eight ball on this one. So, yeah, you can't let an early mistake put everyone in the here-we-go-again mindset. It's just uh, begging for – it's a recipe for disaster. We want this team to get off to the ground uh, running. You, you can't let any mistake. Like, forget about week one that's out of your mind, okay? Or if it isn't out of your mind, you, your belief that that was a total fluke. That's not who we are. We're way better than this. We're going to come out on Sunday and play like the Chicago fucking Bears. That's what we need to see. So let's go. Let's see that. And if there's a mistake, like, up, oh, forget it. That was first down. Now we got a, you know, we got another chance on second down. Let's go ahead and do it. Or if it was third down, hey, defense is going to go get us the ball back, and then we'll fix it. Got to stay positive. Got to have amnesia about the mistakes. As soon as it's over, as soon as you touch the sideline, you don't even remember what happened. You're just ready for what's coming next. So, you know, so much about this football game is mental. As physical a sport as is, mental is just as important, if not more, at times, especially for a team in the mental state that the Bears appeared to be on Sunday because there was not one cracked smile on the sidelines during that ass-kicking that Green Bay gave us on Sunday. They looked like a defeated team, you know? It's like, guys, I know this sucks. Trust me, I've been watching this happen over and over again for 30 years. It sucks, but it's week one. It's week one. 
lot of football left to be played, and you guys are sitting there like we're losing the NFC title game or something like that. All right? Or better body language on the sidelines. Something. We cannot allow what happened on what it cannot allow what happened on Sunday to happen again. It just can't. Because we're staring down the barrel of Kansas City next week. Denver is probably, you know, with their defense, that's going to be a tough football game. And we got a short break to play Washington, who's got a hell of a defensive line. We saw them beat the crap out of Justin Fields last season uh, on Thursday night football. So, you know, there's a tough road ahead. It doesn't look like an impressive stretch. And overall, the teams that we're playing aside from Kansas City aren't a whole lot to write home about. But we're struggling on offense, and our next, outside of Kansas City, our next few opponents have solid defenses. So the offense needs to get his shit together and, you know, help us hit the ground running, uh, uh, you know, on offense to, uh, to save this season. Cause if we dig into an own two hole after losing to Tampa, we're definitely looking at Owen three, uh, against Kansas city. And then we're praying that we can get over Sean Payton and the Broncos in week four. So it's not how this season was supposed to go. Let's get out there and fix it and right the ship. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for the week two preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. Come back on Monday. Will it be another explicit episode as I bitch and moan about the Bears losing another one? Or will it be our first victory episode of 2023? Come on back. We'll have knee-jerk reactions, bear up and bear down, and everything else but uh the uh, spoiler alert we already have a bear down whoever's decision it is to keep wearing these fucking orange helmets and jerseys these things are so goddamn ugly it's so painful bear down to whoever that is whether it's mccaskey or the equipment guy or whatever or hell if it's even the players fuck all of you stop wearing those orange uniforms they're terrible so come on back monday find out what kind of show it's going to be and until then My name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.